0: And we see it talked about and taught in the text even here um, this morning in our passage here in Deuteronomy. And aren't we thankful that we, as God's people today, can come together each week, gathering together in this building on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday evenings, and freely open up the Word of God and have Him speak to us through His Word? Aren't we grateful and thankful for that? We should be. I know we are. Well, the writer of Hebrews uh, tells us that in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets and through the Psalms. We've heard him speak uh, to God's people here this year through our study of Deuteronomy through the prophet Moses, right? But the writer says, but in these days, God speaks to us through his son and he speaks to us through his word, doesn't he? So this past week, wherever you were at, when you opened up God's word and you opened up your lesson uh, in Deuteronomy, there God spoke to you and he communicated with you and to you through his word, right? What a privilege. So God still speaks to us today, doesn't he? And today um, we have the privilege of being taught um, uh, through our text here this morning in Deuteronomy through one of our pastors here on staff at Zinesville Fellowship, Taylor Sutton. So Taylor, like I said, is one of our pastors here at Zinesville Fellowship, and he also oversees our young adults and our senior high. And he and his wife, Kira, who many of you I'm sure know, maybe you're in her group this year at Habits, but he and his wife, Kira, and their young family have uh, made their lives here in the community of Zinesville. So he'll be teaching us uh, here this morning, and we hear him occasionally on Sunday mornings as well. And you will see Taylor has... The gift of bringing God's word, communicating it well and clearly, and bringing it alive for us. So that's what we'll experience here this morning in the hour to come. So thank you, Taylor.
1: Thank you, Lori. Good morning. It's uh, it's a real privilege and honor to be with you. I can remember a few years ago when we were exploring the possibility of, of coming to Zinesville to serve with Zinesville Fellowship, we were visiting with Jim and Patty Blakely. And Patty showed Kira some previous uh, years, habits of the heart binders. And I remember both of us were just so impressed and so encouraged by the passion for God's word that was evidenced in just the existence of these these materials and the fact that uh, so many women from ZF and from the community would gather together to study God's word together. And in the years since then, as Kira's had the opportunity to be a part of Habits, it has been such a huge blessing in her life to to be with you all and to study God's word with you. So for me to have the chance to be here and to speak to you and look at God's word with you is just really special. So thank you in advance for, for listening. Would you pray with me before we get started? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for music. And the truths that we just sang, Lord, we are dealing with things that are so sublime, so majestic, uh, and yet also for many of us so familiar. And so I just pray for myself and for my sisters here that you would work in us uh, a growing sense of wonder and awe at these truths and ultimately at the person that these truths point us to. The, the tri-personal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with whom we have to do this morning. So we pray that your spirit would be at work in our midst, drawing us to Christ, showing us Christ, and through Christ, bringing us to you, Father. We pray that you would do this because of your mercy and love and for your glory. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I was visiting my hometown in suburban Los Angeles, and I discovered that our city, or our, our suburb, had selected, had come up with a motto, and I saw it on the back of a, of a city bus, and the motto was, Santa Clarita, that's the name of the, the suburb, Santa Clarita, where the good life takes you. And I was instantly bothered by this, uh, for a number of reasons, some of which are uh, just my own hangups and pretensions about my hometown but one of the things that bothered me about that maybe the more serious thing is that it betrayed too small a view of the good life as if the good life could be defined by a zip code and the truth is marketing and slogans aside we all are living we're all operating out of deeply held assumptions about the good life. And specifically, we all are operating, everyone we know is operating out of deeply held assumptions about what the good life is and how you get it. And one of the wonderful things about Deuteronomy is that Deuteronomy again and again is showing us God's vision of the good life. So I invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 16, Starting in verse 18 of that chapter, Deuteronomy 16:18, we are going to be looking at, and you have already been looking at, Deuteronomy 16:18, all the way through the end of chapter 18. And what we're going to do with these chapters is I want to take us through them two times. We're going to take two passes through these chapters, looking for two different things. The first pass through these chapters, I want to show you some essential ingredients of the good life according to our maker. And then we'll take a second pass through these chapters looking at the gracious provisions that God has made so that we can enjoy the good life, so that we can possess those ingredients that are essential to the good life. So let's start with number one. There are, for God's people, there are some essential ingredients that they must possess, that we must possess, in order to enjoy the good life. So let's look at the first one, starting in verse 18. Would you read with me in chapter 16? You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So this first ingredient jumps off the page, verse 20 in particular captures it well, justice. God's people as a community must be characterized by justice if they are going to thrive and flourish and experience together the good life. So this means that the people of Israel must do what is right, that in in their social structures and their interactions In the rulings of their courts, justice must be done. People must be treated fairly. Rulings and decisions must not go in favor of the highest bidder, leaving the poor and the oppressed to the whims of the rich and the powerful. So justice, excuse me, justice is an essential ingredient for God's people, an ingredient they must possess if they are going to enjoy and experience the good life. The next section, the next paragraph, runs from 1621 all the way to 177. And here we see in a few different ways the, the next major essential ingredient of the good life, which is worship. Worship. So look at 17 verse 1 with me. Moses says, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If, verse 2, if there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, And then it goes on to spell out the very severe punishment that is called for. What this is getting at in this paragraph is the absolutely essential place of right and exclusive worship of Yahweh, of the God of Israel. So worship is absolutely essential for God's people. Now, what is worship? Uh, Worship can be defined as ascribing ultimate worth to something or someone. So when God's people worship Him, they are saying, we are saying with our words and our desires and our motives and our actions, we are proclaiming through all these avenues that God is our highest and greatest treasure. So understanding worship that way as ascribing ultimate worth to God. It makes sense then why Deuteronomy can link so closely together love and obedience because those are both different forms of worship. Loving God with our heart is a way of ascribing ultimate worth to him. Obeying his commandments, walking in the ways that he has laid out, is another way of ascribing ultimate worth to him. So you see in this paragraph, in the first section of chapter 17, God takes his worship seriously. And and you can see in verse 2 and 3 that to not worship God alone, to go after other gods, to, to relativize God's worth by putting him alongside other gods is, in essence, to break the covenant. And the reason why that's taken so seriously, it's really a capital offense, is that in the Old Covenant, this amounts to treason. This is treason against God and also treason against the nation. So an essential ingredient of the good life for God's people in his place is to worship him, is to make much of him, to have Yahweh be their ultimate treasure. So we see these two essential ingredients in the first two sections of this passage, justice and worship, And as we move through the rest of it, these two ingredients, these two pillars come up again and again and again. Justice and worship are the essential ingredients for God's people to enjoy the good life. So let's move a little bit more quickly now and see how these show up in these chapters. So chapter 17, verses 8 through 13 we see, again, this commitment to justice, the importance of justice being done. And in this section, the institution being set up is a sort of national, centralized Supreme Court that when the local judges of chapter 16 can't figure out what the ruling should be, God wants there to be a place that people can go to get their cases heard. So he's making a provision there for justice. Justice matters to God. Moving on to 17, 14 through the end of the chapter. This is the law of the king. And if you look at the the stipulations put on the king, you you can see how if, if the person occupying the throne abides by these regulations, what is happening is justice and worship are being guarded. That the king is not going to get rich on the backs of the people. The king will not lead the people astray by his own false worship, by his own idolatry. He is commanded to write out the law, to walk in its way. So we see the the law of the king as protecting and and really safeguarding both justice and worship. Moving on to 18, uh, verses one through eight. These stipulations for the Levites Well, the Levites, as we already know from other parts of the Pentateuch, the Levites are really the chief worshipers. They're the worship leaders. They're the ones who administer the sacrificial system that is at the very heart of Israel's worship. They are the ones who stand between the people and God so that the people can enter into God's presence and offer him their worship and offer him their sacrifices. So in the provisions made for the Levites in 18:1 through 8 we see that worship matters to God that worship is one of the essential ingredients of the good life. Lastly we can think about 18:9 through 22 as one section with two parts. So in this uh, second half of chapter 18 there's a negative and a positive. The people are told don't go to the pagan means around you in order to get guidance and wisdom and supernatural information. Don't go that route to get that. Instead, listen to the word of the Lord through his prophet. So this, similar to the law of the king, this really safeguards both justice and worship because for justice and worship to operate and be safeguarded and to be functioning the people will need guidance they will need god to speak to them and the people around them had all kinds of ways of tapping into the supernatural to get that sort of guidance whether it was through sorcerers uh, or charmers or necromancers or the like and god is saying don't look for guidance there look to my word through my spokesman the prophets And Moses says, there will be a prophet like me. You need to listen to him. So all throughout, justice and worship are the non-negotiable pillars, the ingredients, the essential ingredients for the good life. Now it's important to, to remember that it's not as if God's people are to earn God's favor by being just and by worshiping him. Uh, This book is written to a people who have already been redeemed, already been brought home to God. So instead of thinking of these as sort of merit badges that we earn in order to get into God's good graces, this is, from Israel's perspective, this is the way to a life of fullness in the promised land. Justice and worship. This is how one Old Testament scholar described it Worship and justice are the two foci, the two focal points that make the people of God a true and faithful community. And then he goes on to say this. Worship without justice is pharisaical. In other words, it's hypocrisy. It's empty religiosity if there's worship without justice. But justice without worship leads to legalism. So we we see these two pillars of Israelites of Israel's life that God is calling them to and in the bigger story of Deuteronomy we can say these are necessary for them to experience God's blessing or as Deuteronomy 6 says that it may go well with you what I'm referring to as the good life so justice and worship are the essential ingredients that God's people must possess in order to experience the good life. So now, let's take a second pass through these chapters. Uh, Roman numeral two on your outline. What has God provided? God has provided special officials to ensure that God's people have the essential ingredients. So we have God saying, you need to be just and you need to worship me alone. But that's not all he says. He's giving them, he's instituting authoritative offices that serve to protect and nurture justice and worship. So God is providing for them particular people, particular offices that will serve to nurture and cultivate and protect the very ingredients that they need to experience the good life. So, there's basically four offices that we see in this passage. We see judges, priests, kings, and prophets. Judge, priest, king, and prophet. And in their own unique ways, each of these offices is a gift of God's grace to safeguard and lead the people into justice and worship. So, look at 16, 18 through 20 again. So here we have local judges. So this would be at the village or the town level. God wants them to select people to serve as local judges, to exercise wisdom, to determine right and wrong, to determine local cases. You see judges again in verses 17, I'm sorry, chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. And here in verse 9 There seems to be a bigger sort of judge, a a single judge at a central place who hears the difficult cases. So he apparently sits on some kind of court with Levitical priests to decide the hard cases. So this would be the equivalent of their supreme court. And so we have this office of judge that is specifically designed, specifically given by God to Israel to help them. Not descend into a black hole of injustice and oppression and exploitation. The judge is an office given to protect justice. Now, priest is next. We see the priests show up in a few different ways. And in this context, they actually serve to protect both justice and worship. So first we see, again, in 17.9, that it's priests who help serve on this supreme court. So God gives priests, at least in part, to help preserve, protect, ensure justice. And then in their more famous role, which is alluded to in chapter 18, 1 through 8, they are the, the worship leaders. They are the ones who make sure that worship is done according to God's standards and not just any which way the people decide. So the Levites, the priests in particular, are given by God to protect, lead, safeguard, nurture, mainly worship, but also justice. Next is the king. Look at 17, 14 through 20. So this again is the law of the king. And let's look just a little bit more closely at what is what is required of him. What's interesting is that God allows them to have a king. He doesn't command them, you must appoint a king. He says, There will come a time where you'll want a king, and that's fine. But here are the restrictions on him. And so the restrictions are in the service of worship and justice. So I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but just look at verse 16. He must not acquire many horses for himself. Look down to verse 17. The very end, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So we see that God is concerned that even though Israel will want a king, just like all the nations around them, he does not want the king to become an instrument of oppression, enriching himself on the the labor of his people. But he's also concerned that the king be a worshiper. So in verses 18 through 20, we see this incredible stipulation that he needs to write for himself a copy of God's word and read it, and keep it, and obey it. So if the Levites, in one sense, are the chief worship leaders, we could almost think of the king as the lead worshiper. That he is to be out in front, obeying God, being loyal to God, delighting in God. And we see all throughout Israel's history, once the monarchy is in place, that that's exactly how it works. As the king goes, so goes the nation. If the king is all in for God with worship and obedience and covenant loyalty. The people as a whole follow and are treated as the king has deserved for them. So the king, the office of king, is designed in part to safeguard and nurture both worship and justice. Finally, the prophet. This great passage at the end of chapter 18, verses 15 to 22. Look at these verses with me. Let's read 15. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now skip down to verse 18. And this is the Lord speaking. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name i myself will require it of him so the prophet becomes god's authoritative spokesperson the the mouthpiece of god the one who says thus says the lord and you can you can assume you can imagine how this serves to protect justice and worship because The prophet ends up being the one in Israel's history that calls them out when they are practicing injustice, which you can read all about in a book like Amos. He calls them out on their idolatry. Pretty much every prophet in our Old Testament has some denunciation of the people for forsaking God and pursuing idols. So the prophet, the office of prophet, is a safeguard that God gives to, to protect his people from falling into the kind of injustices and the kind of idolatry that can undo them as a people. So judge, priest, king, prophet. Four major offices given by God to help his people have the justice and the worship that they need to enjoy God, to enjoy the good life. Uh, Maybe some of you have gone bowling before with children, and you have the bowling alley set up bumpers, either the inflatable ones or the, ones, the metal ones that kind of swing into place. And think about bumpers and kids trying to bowl. So a, a child generally can throw the ball in the right direction, hopefully. Uh, otherwise, somebody's going to get hurt. But uh, most kids can at least get the ball going in the right way. But without the bumpers, more often than not, that ball, although headed in the right direction, is going to get so off course that it will end up in the gutter. And what bumpers do is they keep the ball on track so that it bounces off the boundary marker of the bumper and stays in the lane. And then it bounces off the other one and it stays in. And hopefully, at least a few pins get knocked over. And the bumpers have done their job and kept the sport interesting to younger kids. In a similar way, these offices are like bumpers for Israel that they serve to safeguard them when they start to get off track, there's prophets and hopefully kings and hopefully priests that are, are calling them back, that are holding them back from the abyss of forsaking God or of plunging into uh, injustice and exploitation. They, they are not just preventative, but they're supposed to be leaders. So in a sense, they're out in front calling them forward to greater and greater levels of justice and worship. So these are gracious gifts of God to his people in the form of offices, and in particular, office holders who will help them enjoy the good life. So we've we've taken these two passes through these chapters. Let's put these two ideas together and boil it down, and we could maybe think of it this way. That the good life is attainable when we pursue God and his priorities using God's resources. We can enjoy the good life when and only when we pursue God and his priorities using God's resources. So let's just take a minute to think about what what difference does this make for how we live? What are the implications for our life from this truth that There is a particular vision of the good life defined here by justice and worship and there are particular resources God makes available to help us along the way. What what do we do with that? I'll just mention one in the time that we have. I think for many of us, our visions of the good life, the deeply held, unspoken assumptions about the good life that we operate by, they tend to be deeply inward-facing, whether we vocalize them that way or not. So what do I consider the good life to be made up of? So often, it is things like my comfort, my reputation, my sense of identity, my family. So we often define the good life in terms of me and mine. And then we also have that same inwardness when we go to figure out what resources do I have to draw upon to pursue this vision of a good life, defined as my name, my reputation, my comfort, my prosperity, etc. Typically, what we operate out of our, our default assumption is the resources that I have to depend on are my skills and my resources and my smarts. So I lean on me to pursue a vision of the good life that is all about me. And I think one of the things this passage unmistakably calls us to is a radically outward-facing vision of what the good life is and how to get it. So think about justice. Justice calls you to care not just about the prosperity and well-being of you and yours, but to care deeply and be committed to the rights of other people. In particular, the rights of those who are most vulnerable to being ignored or exploited. So justice, to have justice be one of your guiding pillars or ingredients of the good life inherently means you are looking outward as you seek to define what does it mean to experience the good life together. It means pursuing justice and just doing the right thing for people as much as you can. That's an outward-facing vision of what the good life is. Worship is the ultimate outward-facing vision of the good life because when I'm worshiping God, when I am truly from the core of who I am ascribing ultimate worth to him, I forget about me. I am liberated from the obsession with me to delight and enjoy God. So true worship is always a move out of yourself, a look away from you to God. So the vision of the good life, the ingredients of the good life in this passage are non-negotiably outward-facing, calling us out of our inward-facing tendencies. And the same is also true of the resources that we have. This passage calls us to look outside of ourselves for that which we need to experience the good life. So you think about these different offices. They needed a judge to have wisdom to determine right and wrong in particular cases. They needed a priest to stand between them and God as a mediator, administering the necessary sacrifices to deal with their sin before a holy God. They needed a king to be out in front like a shepherd, guiding them, protecting them, showing them the way. They needed a prophet to speak to them God's word. So they needed all these resources that were outside of themselves. And in the same way today, God calls us to not just look inward for what we need to pursue his vision of the good life, but to look outward to God's provision for the good life. And what's so amazing, as we continue in the story of God's people in the scriptures, is we see that the provision that God made here was ultimately pointing forward to the ultimate provision. So I was just talking this morning to somebody who works in construction, and he was talking about how important it is to have good drawings, that when you have unclear drawings, things not specified in the blueprints, it slows down the job because you have to constantly stop, pick up the phone. Call the architect or the engineer and say, What did you want to happen here? So, drawings are absolutely necessary. But in the case of a house, for example, you don't go live in a drawing. You don't settle down in a blueprint. You need an actual house. And what the story of scripture shows us is that these offices are like blueprints, they're like patterns and designs that are pointing us to the ultimate substance. So, These are prototypes, these judges and priests and kings and prophets. These are prototypes that one man perfects and fulfills. So the Bible shows us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate judge and priest and king and prophet. He brings these roles and their functions and their purposes. He brings them to their ultimate expression. He was the judge priest, king, and prophet, that all the others were always pointing us to. He achieves justice and worship for us. So think about Jesus as the ultimate judge. Jesus is more wise than Solomon. He knows people's thoughts. He can decide difficult cases with ease and authority. Christ is the ultimate judge. Christ is the ultimate judge priest he is the final and highest form of a mediator he he contains within himself both god and humanity so that he can like no other stand in between us and bring about reconciliation he is not just a priest but we see that he is the priest who brings himself as the sacrifice so that jesus christ in dying on the cross is the final sacrifice that fully satisfies God's righteous wrath against him. Jesus on the cross absorbs that holy punishment that we deserve so that those who trust in him don't have to. He's the ultimate priest. Christ is the ultimate king. He says, I am the good shepherd. I take care of my own. I don't enrich myself Off the flock, I lay my life down for them. And in his resurrection, Christ takes the highest place of authority, ruling over the kingdom of God from the Father's right hand, watching over us, protecting us, keeping us. Christ is the ultimate king, Christ is the ultimate prophet. He is the final word from God, not only in the words that he spoke, in his teaching. But in his very person, he spoke and even embodied the word of God. Turn, turn with me to Hebrews 1. Lori mentioned these verses at the beginning. I just want to read the first few. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll look at verses 1 through 3. Notice in this passage how these different strands, these different functions of the offices of Deuteronomy 16 to 18 come together climactically in Christ. Hebrews 1 verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we see just in these few verses the authority, the mediating sacrificial work, the wisdom, the, the revelation of God that all come together and find final and ultimate expression in the person and in the work of Christ. And so now as we as Christians, as, as the new covenant people of God, as we think about and pursue the good life, we have the ultimate provision of grace we now can look to Christ. We can take hold of Christ. We can throw ourselves on Christ to bring about in us justice and worship. He is now the protector and the leader, the cultivator of justice and worship. Christ is where we go to find the good life. And that's not just a one-time thing. That's not just the decision that you made when you became a Christian. You took hold of Christ, and now you're on your own. This is, taking hold of Christ is the daily work of faith. It is the daily work to turn away from self-reliance, self-trust, other idols, other saviors, and to take hold of Christ. And my encouragement to you this week, this day, is that when all your small and inadequate visions of the good life let you down and they elude your grasp when they leave you disappointed and disillusioned christ will be to you a treasure chest of blessings and riches he is the very substance of the good life so let us chase after him and pursue him because in his grace he is keeping us and protecting us let's pray Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you for your fulfilling work that you take these beautiful provisions from the old covenant that were absolutely necessary and you finish them, you fill them out. You arrive as the substance to their shadow. And Lord, we in our dimness of heart In our dullness of spirit and affection, we are constantly wandering away from you. The very source of life. And so I I confess that, Lord, that I, even this week, even this day, I have wavered in looking to you, Jesus, as the source and the substance of the good life. Lord, would you uh, wean us off of our false visions, our small visions of what the good life is. And may we embrace, by your help, with your grace, through your provisions, may we embrace your vision and begin to experience that good life now. And by your grace and preservation of our souls, experience it in full in the world to come, in the new creation. We trust that in your kindness you'll do this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. Uh, in about five minutes, ten, fifteen, your discussion groups will start. So, I hope you have great discussions together. Thank you.